It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency Advance B2B. It's your host here Edward Ford and today we are joined on the show by Claire Solentrop who is head of marketing at userlist.io, co-founder of Forget the Funnel and the former director of marketing at Calendly. Now this episode is all about how to truly understand your customer and we dig into why you need to understand your customer, what it really means to be customer centric And we also identify some of the bad habits and practices that have slipped into B2B marketing when it comes to customer research. Now, this is quite a practical discussion and Claire shares some useful frameworks and advice on how to actually conduct customer research, develop buyer personas, and use the jobs to be done framework to get a solid understanding of your customer, which will be at the heart of your marketing strategy and the starting point for everything you do in marketing. As ever, stay tuned to the end of the episode where Claire takes on our Fast Five Challenge. So here is episode number 25 of the Growth Hub Podcast with Claire Sullentrop. Welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub Podcast. And welcome to the show, Claire Sullentrop of userlist.io. Love your customers and forget the funnel, which we're big fans of here at Advanced B2B. So Claire, thanks so much for joining us today. Edward, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, very excited about this episode and digging into the world of the customer and how marketers can better understand their customers. But I guess before we actually dig into that, why do marketers actually need to understand their customers? So uh, I love that we're, we're having an episode all about understanding your customer because as I know you chose the, the theme for this reason, but um, I care so much about this. Uh, so I'm really excited to jump in and, and talk about it a bit. Uh, so in terms of why marketers need to understand their customers, I think I think this could best be answered probably by a story or an example um, that one of my favorite marketers, April Dunford, shared a while ago. Um, so if you're not familiar with April, she has been in the SaaS marketing space for a very long time. Um, she's she's worked with dozens of of B2B SaaS companies. Uh, and she was recently answering this question and she she described it like this. She said, a lot of folks will come up to her, a lot of a lot of startup founders or startup marketers will um, post questions to her like, should I run Facebook ads for my company? Or should I run an AdWords campaign? Or should we sponsor conferences? Or should we do webinars? And asking a, a very tactical or, or channel oriented question like that about your marketing um, is a lot like asking someone you don't know um, very well, hey, where should I buy shoes? So the reason for that is if someone, if, if I were to ask you that, Edward, right? Um, first of all, you would have no idea what kind of shoes I'm looking for. Am I looking for shoes for a formal event? Am I looking for running shoes? Am I looking for hiking boots? You would have no idea what my budget is? Uh, am I looking to buy something cheap that I'll replace next year? Am I looking to buy a, a staple piece that will last me forever? And you have no idea um, what shoe stores are available in my area, right? So is it something I should order online? Should I you know, travel to a different continent to pick these up? Is there a great local store? There's just, you have, you have no context about me and what I need and um, what, what's valuable to me, right? So trying to form a marketing strategy around uh, or trying to make decisions about your marketing strategy by asking 
questions like, should we run Facebook ads or should we start doing content marketing? Um, should we sponsor conferences uh, is a little bit like asking, is a little bit like trying to tell your customers where they should buy shoes. Um, they, they're simply, you don't have enough context. And so the more you can understand what their needs really are, what they're really looking for, the better you can tailor your plan for going out, finding them, engaging with them, getting them interested in your product and eventually uh, nurturing them from not knowing about you to becoming a lead to actually becoming a happy customer. Yeah, I love it. And we're yeah, big fans of April and I, I definitely want to avoid giving you shoe advice. I'm, I'm, not sure what, I'm not sure what's cool in Atlanta right now. But, uh, what's cool in Helsinki might not work in, in Georgia. So yeah, that, that's a very good point. And I think a lot of marketers, they also say that I, I'm, I'm customer centric, but what does customer centricity and understanding your customer really mean in marketing? Well, I'll try to put it in as much of like a day-to-day -day application setting as possible uh, because we customer centric is, is such a buzzword. Yes, <laughs> um, exactly. Every, every company, every company wants to say that they're customer centric because without your customers, you're not a business. Um, but a lot of times just in the nature of growing a business um, or in a marketer's shoes in particular in, in the process of making, of forming a strategy and then actually implementing your day-to-day -day work, it's really easy to forget who you're trying to serve. Um, because that, because that person is not, because your customers aren't typically in the office with you, right? And so what gets prioritized are metrics, what gets prioritized are um, the projects that your boss thinks are most important, whether or not those align with what your customer actually needs. Um, politics come into play, all kinds of inner office things, kind of, it's, it's easy for things to take priority over what's really going to capture the customer's attention most. So, when, when, I, when we talk about being customer centric and what that really means, um, in a day-to-day -day format, uh, what, I, what I like to, the projects or activities I like to focus on would be things like making sure that you're constantly doing customer research. Um, and there are a lot of ways to do that. There's, there's quantitative, uh, so checking, of course, like monitoring um, any analytics dashboards you set up to understand how well folks are converting from uh, not knowing about you, your top of funnel efforts to becoming leads, to actually converting, um, and then staying, right? Not churning out um, and, and, and realizing your product wasn't a good fit for them. So there's, there's the quantitative aspect, uh, but there's also a lot of qualitative customer research that marketers can and should be doing that really fills in some of the gaps that quantitative leaves and, and reminds you as a marketer that your customers are humans. Um, so some ways of doing that qualitative research involve um, using tools like Hotjar or Fullstory um, to observe how customers interact with your website, observe how they act with your product, um, to find moments of frustration or friction or places that they typically bounce um, and to form a plan from there, right? To figure out, okay, if we're trying to get people motivated to sign up for a trial on this page, but they're not, they're not getting, they're not even scrolling down to the call to action, what's missing? What do we need to change? How, what, how, what do we need to do differently as marketers to attract them, keep their attention, um, and keep them reading? Um, there's also uh, my, favorite, my favorite method of customer research is interviews and surveys. Um, so when I talk about interviews and surveys, typically what I'm talking about is um, 
running projects that will uh, that will put you that will put you in direct conversation with people who have just bought your product or who have been happy customers for a while, so you can better understand who those people really are in their day to day lives. Um, so. Maybe maybe later in this conversation we'll talk more about personas. Um, but a lot of a lot of us as marketers, when we're in the office um, trying to get our work done, tend to rely on kind of like shadow versions of of who our customers yeah. really are um, when we're planning how we'll reach them. And that's not it's no one's fault that this happens. It's simply um, what it's it's simply the result of that gap being created when you when you don't really have an idea of who your customer is as a person um and the one of the best ways to really uncover who they are as people is to actually reach out to these folks reach out to these people who are buying your product and get them on the phone and ask you know what was it that what was it that was going on in your life that made you um start looking for something like our product and when you started looking what were some of the options you considered how'd you finally find us? Why did you choose us? Um, now that you're here, right? How is your life better? What's, what's working so well for you that you want to stay on board with us? Um, and you can learn a lot of really, really interesting things from these interviews. Not only will you learn, um, a lot more about which channels you should be using to find your customers, um, which tactics you might want to employ, uh, in order to bring them to your marketing site, um, get them on your email list and so on. But you'll also learn a lot about how they most naturally uh, speak about their pain points and also about your product, um, which oftentimes is really different from the way that we as marketers have come up with positioning, messaging, um, copy on our website pages. Um, so those interviews can bring you a lot closer to your customer in ways that are just emotionally really important because um, you have a you have greater empathy for this market you're trying to serve. Um, but it also tangibly gets you things like stickier copy, a better understanding of the, the messages you should put on a, on a page uh, or in an ad um, to capture someone's attention. Uh, so those interviews, I would say, are one of the one of the most important um, ways of doing research to better understand your customer and be more customer centric. Surveys, um, I can dive into those, but surveys are a good fallback if you don't have a ton of time to be on interviews all day long, which a lot of us don't. Uh, they can they can get you a lot more people's input, a lot more of your customers' input um, in a in a smaller amount of time. I feel like I'm starting to ramble here. So I'm going to take a step back. <laughs> no, this, this is super good. There were some really good points. And I'm fully with you in terms of taking time to actually talk to your customers and interview them. And we've also found that, you know, when you ask your customers, like, what are the best things about our product? Why, why did you buy? And then you don't need to spend all that time coming up with your own reasons to buy. I think marketers can sometimes struggle with, you know, what messaging should we put? Just ask your customers and they feed you almost the copy, you can copy paste it into your Yes, website. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And, and you know, what's the greatest thing about, uh, the, the greatest benefit that our product brings to you? And there's your value proposition as well. You, you, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's all there. So yeah, I'm to totally with you on that. And I think you mentioned personas in there as well. And I think this is something that traditionally marketers have used as a way to understand their customers. And they've typically used these kind of funny names like Marketing Mary or Developer Dave, Consultant Carol. <laughs> right. I'm not so sure why they have to be illiterate, but anyway, uh, what do you think of buyer personas? Are they still valid? It's funny that you talk about how they're all um, alliterations. I, uh, I was working with a client a couple months ago and no kidding, they, they had, um, 
like new mom, Megan and graduate Greg, like they were true alliterations in real life. And it was, it was, yeah, it was prove your point so well. Um, so by and large, I, I shy away from using traditional personas in order to, uh, or I'm sorry, using traditional personas as the foundation for building out a marketing plan. Um, I, there are some caveats to that. I think they can be useful in some contexts, which I'll get into, but for the most part, they're coming from such a good point, uh, such a good, such a good place. Personas are um, typically uh, assembled by a marketing team or by a company in order to kind of create that empathy um, that we were just talking about uh, the previous question. Um, but typically they, they miss the mark because they often focus on a lot of demographic data like Marketing Mary is this age and she um, works at a company of this size and she drives a Honda and she has two kids and she lives in the suburbs and she loves dogs. Um, I've, I've made all this stuff. I don't, I don't have a, a Marketing Mary like sheet that I'm reading from, but um, that's what a, a lot of personas look like. And if you, if you Google uh, marketing persona, that's typically the type of, of um, image you'll find. And the problem with these is they do a great job of, of painting this picture of this person who starts to feel real and, and you as, as a marketer are thinking, okay, yeah, I, I get marketing, Mary. I, I understand where she's coming from, but none of those details really give you insight into why marketing Mary bought your product, um, why she might want it. So there's, I, um, there's a talk that I gave last year and I used a really similar example. Um, so I, I took a picture of my friend, Melanie, who actually is a marketer. So once again, the alliterations are going strong. Excellent. Um, I put a picture of my friend, Melanie, up on, up on the slide. And I had everyone in the audience go to LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. And um, I, I, got Mel I got my friend's permission to do this, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I had them look up all of the possible details they could find about her. So they found out she, where she lives. They found out what kind of pets she has. They found out what she does in her spare time. Um, all these different things. So we, as a group, we assembled this persona of marketing Melanie. And then I, I showed a slide of a new backpack um, of a particular brand that Melanie had purchased. And I asked the audience, okay, so based on the information you've gathered, can you tell me why Melanie bought this backpack? And no one really could. Right. So it was, it was all of this information that, that did make Melanie feel like a real person, but as a group, we had no idea what the motivations were that, that led her to make this purchase. We didn't really know what she was struggling with. And this is typically what personas leave behind. They leave behind, um, I think someone recently used the term psychogra psychographic data. So the psychology behind somebody's purchase decisions. Um, and really that's, that information, that the struggle that someone is feeling that leads them to go shopping, um, the better life they're seeking for themselves when they purchase your product, the benefits that they're looking for, those are what we should be using when we're developing a marketing plan, when we're creating individual campaigns, when we're writing copy. Um, and typically for personas leave that out and they focus only on the demographic data when really it, it should be the other way around. Um, the best marketing campaigns start with a deep understanding of that your customer's struggle and what they're looking for, and then if you want to get um, more specific in, you know, maybe maybe the copy that you're using to speak to um, college a college student. Let's I'm I'm totally making up a market here, but um, maybe the copy you're using or the imagery you're using to speak to a college student will be different 
than the imagery you're using to speak to um, a 50-year-old person um, in an office job. But if, if they're having the same struggle, then the campaigns that you're running should start with that, and then the demographic data should be layered on afterward, um, not used as the foundation. Um, so personas can work when they're paired with the right, uh, I guess, motivational foundation um, or the right understanding of, of what your customer is looking for. But if they're used as the foundation themselves, they can pretty quickly fall flat. Yeah, so you highlighted some of the limitations of the traditional buyer persona, but you also mentioned that there are some things we should be doing to build better buyer personas. So could you give us some insight into how marketers should actually go about building buyer personas today? Yeah, so um, we talked a, li a little bit, or I should say I rambled, <laughs> um, about interviews and surveys. Um, but truly, those are some of the best ways that I have found um, to put together more holistic um, struggle, I, I'm going to say struggle-based, um, maybe another way to say this would be, um, we could talk about, I guess, jobs to be done for a moment, which is a, a framework um, that helps you um, understand your customers in this way, helps you understand their struggle. Um, but for a number of different clients, um, in my well, first in my in-house role, and then over the past year, um, and then now in the training program that uh, my co-founder Gia and I run, um, SaaS Marketer Essentials, we teach we teach folks how to conduct these interviews that will uncover that struggle um, that your customers are feeling. Um, so if, if a marketer is, let's say, let's say you're a marketer and you are either tasked with doing this um, or, you're, or you decide, hey, our personas are pretty flat. We need to redo these. Um, and you take the charge on yourself. One of the best ways you can get started is by identifying, um, I would say, in a this gets difficult because, of course, we have different customer segments depending on the complexity of the products we're working on. Um, but let's say that you're working on a product that targets only one segment and we'll make it really easy. Um, the best thing, the, the way that I would recommend getting started is to actually look through your CRM, look through your marketing automation system, um, and find 10 to 20 of your best customers. And when I say best, what I mean is not simply they've purchased. Um, but they have been on board for um, at least you know, six months to a year if, if that's a good um, customer lifecycle for you. Maybe it needs to be longer depending, again, on the complexity of your product. But they've been on board for a while. They haven't churned. Um, their, their sales cycle was relatively quick because they immediately understood the value of the product. They're really engaged with it, right? So they either log in all the time or they're always opening the emails that they get from you. They're really, they're really bought into what it is you have to offer. Um, these are the people that you want to be getting on the phone with um, and then actually asking um, certain questions of. And I, I alluded to those questions earlier. Um, I, I can try to find a link to a Forget the Funnel workshop where um, I believe we link out to these questions if that's helpful. Yeah, um, we could add that to the show notes. Great. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so I will look for that after this. Um, but get on the phone with these folks and actually ask them. Um, one of my favorite question is, questions is, what was going on in your life? What was, what was happening in your world that led you to seek something else, something besides what you were, what you were using previously? Um, that question alone will uncover so much of what, so much, so much of the struggle um, that, that happens um, in your target segment's life or in your target audience's world, so to speak, that leads them to shop for you. Um, and 
really all the, all the other interview questions that I recommend that again, I'm happy to share a link to, um, are focused on that same theme. So essentially when you get on the phone with a customer, um, you're trying to kind of reconstruct like a documentary of, of their journey from their old life to their new life with your product. Um, and the questions are all, are all focused. The questions that I recommend using are all focused on helping you craft that documentary. So once you've learned what your customer was struggling with, um, then you want to understand, okay, well, what happened next? How did you start looking for other solutions, right? Did you ask your friends? Did you go to Google? Did you hear about a good solution at a conference you were recently at? Um, are there podcasts that you listen to where you heard about new, new options available? Um, which as a marketer is gold for figuring out what channels you might want to be experimenting with. Um, so great. So then you found a couple of different solutions. Um, what, which ones were most interesting to you? Why, why is that? You know, what did they have to offer that seemed like it'd be a good fit? Um, when you tried these different solutions, what happened that made you decide, yes, this is going to work for me or no, this isn't going to work for me. Um, and ultimately how did you find us? Right. And once you, once you came to our website, um, gave us a try, what happened that made you feel so sure that we were the right fit for you? Um, so you notice in these questions, I'm, I'm not asking things like, I'm not asking feet. I'm sorry. There's a little bit of noise behind me. <laughs> I, yeah, live no in, I live in the middle of the city. Um, it's a little bit noisy sometimes. Um, you notice I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you get on the phone with your customer and you ask questions like, how do you feel about our product? Um, or, uh, do you like X, Y, Z? Um, these are, these questions that I, I encourage marketers to ask are much more, they're much more, um, trying to put together the story of your customer's story than they are um, for getting feedback about your product or getting a really positive testimonial. Um, so once you've done about 10 of those interviews, you will definitely start noticing some patterns in how your buyers behaved before, uh, before life with your product. Um, so those behaviors, those struggles are what you really want to be using to craft your, your own personas. Um, so, I, I did mention surveys earlier as a way to um, get a larger scope um, or get a larger understanding of, of your, uh, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to say this correctly, to get an understanding of your, your greater customer base's experience, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, but the point is, whether you do surveys or, or interviews or, or both, um, what you're looking for is patterns in what the struggle was that led your customer to go shopping, what, um, what, concerns they had when they were in the buying process, what was stopping them from making purchases, and ultimately what was the motivation, right? What were they trying to achieve in their own life with, with getting this new product? Um, were they trying to, you know, were they, were they, it's, I'm, I feel like this is so abstract, so I'm trying to come up with a good example. Um, let's see. So, uh, okay. A great example would be, I worked with, um, I worked with death to the stock photo, which is a, a stock photo subscription service last year. Yep. And I ran, I ran these interviews for them. I did surveys for them. I actually put together a whole new set of, of personas. Um, and what I found was they had a couple of different, they had a couple of different target segments. Um, they had people who were, uh, who were freelance designers or creatives, um, who were looking for phot photography specifically for their own needs. Um, so they were working on their own brand. Um, there were people who worked at agencies or ran small agencies. So 
those people were really, really stressed out about making sure their client was happy. Um, and then there were people who were in-house at larger companies um, who were less, less focused on client work, less focused on building their own brand, more focused on making sure that they could get approval from the creative team um, to move forward with XYZ project, right? So, so all three of those people needed stock photography. But they were all, they all had different motivations behind looking for new stock photography. They all had different goals they were trying to achieve in their own life. Um, and so instead of creating a marketing Mary type persona um, that focused on, you know, Mary's age and Mary, where Mary lives, um, I did make personas. And I can't remember now if I use names. Actually, I think what I did was just get actual customer names. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I got the names of the people that I spoke with, um, and I, I, when I was building out the personas, I focused instead on here's what this person here's here's what this person is probably doing for work because this is a B two B product that you offer just to stock. Um, here's what they're struggling with at work, and here's what they're trying to accomplish. Here's who they care about impressing or getting approval from, um, and here's the things that are important to them: price versus value. Um, let's see, quality of photos versus high quantity of photos. So I, I made it much less about demographic data um, of, of these different people they were trying to market to and much more about the scenario or the struggle um, that their customers were feeling. Uh, so using that, the team was able to craft, craft an entire new um, Facebook ad strategy. They were able to get much more intelligent about the different types of communication they sent in their newsletters. Um, they could get a lot more segmented with that. Um, they could get a lot more intelligent about what their customers were really struggling with and needed uh, rather than trying to base their marketing on flat things like, okay, we're going to talk to college kids or, okay, we're going to talk to people in offices. Um, I, once again, I'm going, I'm like going strong on rambling. So oh, this is super good. This is super good. And I think like one of the key takeaways here is that rather than just trying to build up an image of a specific person or a cohort of, of people who might be your ideal customers, just rethink or reframe it from the perspective of that journey. So that chronological process of what people actually go through before, during, and after buying from you. And there was that one really good question you mentioned about, you know, what was happening or what compelled you to find a, a problem or a solution to your problem. And, and this is what we call the trigger. So if you can try to find out what is the thing that triggers someone to take action, to try and find a solution. That's Nailed like it. so much, <laughs> Nailed so it. much good stuff for your marketing that that's everything you need to know. And the rest is of course, very, very helpful. But yeah, I think that's a really good way to think about it. And you also mentioned about the jobs to be done framework, which we could come on to in a moment, but before I actually have one, one question still regarding personas and that's, that marketers have also started talking about things like purpose-driven personas and user personas. So could you elaborate on what they are and how they differ from the traditional buyer persona? Sure. Um, and I, I do need to make a dis or share a disclaimer here that every, every, I think maybe every person I've spoken to has a different understanding of personas. Um, so the, the terminology and what it means can differ from company to company. So depending on the companies you've been with or, or worked with as clients, um, your understanding of the words can be different than mine. And that's totally fine. The, the way I look at them is user personas. Uh, I understand user personas to be more of a tool um, 
for the designer product team. Um, in other words, user personas are more, are more, they're created more with the intention of understanding, okay, how do people interact with our product? Um, so if, if one of our user personas is um, an elderly person who is very new to technology, their, their needs are going to differ um, in comparison to someone who is maybe in their 20s or 30s, is very comfortable with technology, grew up with the internet in their house, um, and the way that they will interact with our product is, is going to be entirely different. Um, that's my understanding of user personas. Uh, if, if folks are listening to this and have a different understanding, I would actually love to hear that. Um, because I, this, is, this is one person's understanding. Um, and in terms of purpose-driven personas, purpose-driven personas to me are, I think, as close as you can get to describing the type of persona that we just spoke about. Um, one that is yeah. much more focused on the struggle in a person's life and what, they, what, what benefit they're ultimately seeking, um, right? What is, what is the purpose? What's, the, what's their... Um, my friend, Alora, uh, Alora Weaver, who's a copywriter and um, works with a, a number of SaaS companies, she came up, she's the first person I, I met who used this term purpose-driven personas. Um, and to her, purpose-driven um, can mean like, what is, this, what is this customer's ultimate purpose in life, right? What do they want to feel like when they buy your product? They, do they want to feel independent? Do they want to feel accomplished? Um, what's, what's the emotional reason they're purpose purchasing? Um, but purpose-driven can also truly mean what is the function that your product serves in their life? Um, so does it save them time? Does it remove stress? Does it, um, what is, what, what is its purpose, um, in, in the world of your customer, I guess? Yeah, exactly. And I have to confess that the first time I ever heard of the concept of purpose-driven personas was Alora's workshop on Yay. Forget the Funnel. <laughs> so Amazing. That's why I had to. <laughs> that's so but, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think it goes to show that there's there's different ways to think about how you can understand your customer beyond just the traditional buyer, and there's different ways to look at it. And like you mentioned, jobs to be done that sort of flips things around and looks at the customer not necessarily from a persona perspective, but the task or the job that they need to do. So, could you explain a bit more about the jobs to be done framework? Sure. We've it's funny we've talked actually a lot about the application of it. Um, so now, now we're kind of like going back to, okay, what is that thing? Um, cause we haven't quite named it yet. So jobs to be done is a framework that was originally developed, um, more for developing new products. Uh, it's, it's been around for a while. It's not super new, but it's relatively new in the marketing space. Um, so the concept of jobs to be done, um, and using the framework, uh, when interviewing, um, when interviewing a particular market is to, is to understand, as we've talked about a number of times now, what your, what your market is struggling with, uh, and what, what motivates, what might motivate them to go seek a new solution to their struggles. Um, so you can see how it applies to developing a new product. Um, essentially if you, let's say you have an idea for a product and you really want to validate is anyone, is anyone going to care about this? Is anyone really struggling with this problem besides just myself? Um, or am I, building for, am I building a solution for people who don't really feel a struggle and who won't feel motivated to buy this new solution? Um, it's, it's, uh, essentially, it's essentially, when boiled down to the, the bare minimum, it's, it's that. It's a framework for uncovering that struggle 
and figuring out what your, your target market's ultimate motivation is so that you can build better products. Um, however, uncovering that exact information is of course gold for a marketer um, because no good marketer, let me rephrase, any good marketer is ultimately thinking about the greater success of the business. And that includes making sure that the product is sticky. It includes making sure that people stay around for a long time. Um, focusing only on acquisition level things like new leads generated um, is, not, is not ultimately where you, your head needs to be. But um, I say all that to say, uncovering those details about your customer's struggle and what, what they're motivated to make a change about in their lives um, is the gist of the jobs to be done concept. Um, so I'll use a marketing example that, um, and I'm happy to, to share the link to this as well um, in, in the show notes. Yeah, um, definitely. There, there's, um, there's, a number of, there's a number of folks who've pioneered the, the jobs to be done concept. And um, uh, I, I won't go into all of them because it's probably too in the weeds, but one of them, uh, his name's Alan Clement. He's the author of a great book on jobs to be done. It's called When Coffee and Kale Compete, um, all about why people uh, drop one old solution and adopt another one. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, it's a long read, though. <laughs> um, he wrote a great guest post on the Copy Hackers blog. So Copy, Copy Hackers blog is all about writing copy that gets people to convert. Um, and in the guest post, Alan uh, came up with this scenario, and he was like, okay, Let's pretend. Let's 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 pretend that you are um, you've had a really busy day at work. So you got to the office. You barely had time for breakfast. Maybe you ate like a piece of fruit for breakfast, and you've been in meetings literally all day. No time for lunch. No time for snacks. You've been in meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. It's now like four thirty in the afternoon. You're starving, um, and you look at your watch and you realize, oh my god, I have twenty minutes before I need to be in my final meeting of the day. I've, I've got to get some food now or I'm going to pass out. So you leave your office building, run downstairs, um, and you're looking around, you're, you're looking up and down the street trying to figure out what can you get, what, what type of food can you get um, that's going to fill you up, uh, but also not take a long time because you've got another meeting to get to. Um, so you're walking along, you see a, um, you see like a snack stand, right? You know, a place selling like chips, um, play, selling like little things, not super substantial. And you think, uh, I could do that, but it's not going to fill me up and I'm really hungry. So you keep walking. Um, you see a sit down cafe and the sit down cafe won't really work either because you'd get a full meal, but it would take so long that by the time you got your food, your, meet, your meeting would already be starting. Um, and you see two decent fast food options right in front of you. You see a place selling pizza and you see a place selling tacos. And the place, the place selling pizza has a sign on it that says number one, like world's voted world's number one pizza. Uh, but the sign on the taco, the sign on the taco restaurant says tasty tacos in 30 seconds or less. Now, if you're in that scenario, right, and your struggle is that you're really hungry, but you have to get back to the office within the next 20 minutes, most of us would pick the taco stand. Not because we love tacos more than pizza, but because that messaging, right, the, the fact that this place is going to get me a good meal in 30 seconds speaks to the struggle that I'm having. So that, that marketing is going to win my business over the, pizza, over the pizza place that admittedly probably has great pizza, but isn't, isn't, talk, isn't speaking to the struggle that I'm feeling in this moment. Um, 
So that's a, I think, decent example of how speaking to the the job that um, speaking to the job that your your customers are trying to hire something for in your marketing can be really really effective. Um, more so than talking about how great your product is, aka we have the world's number one pizza, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, okay, so let's take a situation. You've conducted your customer research, you've built your personas, you've you've mapped out the job to be done. So how do you then move forward and actually use your findings and apply that to your marketing? You can use it honestly all across your marketing. So if you think about, um, I, I wish I, I'm like motioning around with my hands. I need like a, like a slide <laughs> to a point video. to or something. <laughs> yeah. um, if you think about your, your customer's journey, um, a, a, a big piece of it, a big piece of that journey actually begins before your mark, your, your, audience has ever found your product, right? So they're in what a lot of, a lot of us, I'll, I'll try to use like very fairly generic or well-known terms. Um, most of us, if we, if we've mapped out our customer journey before we start our customer, our customers typically start in a stage where they're unaware, right? They, they don't even know that they have a problem yet. They're using whatever their old solution is and that's working fine. Um, for death to the stock photo, let's say that they are, um, they're using a, an alternative stock photo solution, or um, they're taking their own photos themselves. You know, something something entirely different from death to the stock photo. So they're unaware. Um, something happens. Some struggle is triggered. Uh, you used the word trigger earlier, which is a great way to describe it. Um, that causes them to seek something out. So they go from being unaware to being pain aware. They're like, Ugh, "This is not working for me anymore." taking all my photos myself takes too long. These other stock photo websites are crappy. I got to find something better. Um, then they go into, um, so they've gone from pain aware, or I'm sorry, they've gone from unaware to pain aware. They're feeling a pain, they're feeling a struggle. And then they start looking for solutions, right? So they're Googling for different stock photo websites. They're asking their friends questions. They're going to different Slack communities they hang out in. Um, they're, they're actively searching for something. Uh, Ultimately, hopefully, they find your product. And if you're building out this customer journey, then yes, they ultimately they find your product and they become product aware. They're aware of you particularly, and they're trying to figure out whether you will solve the struggle so they can move on with their lives. Um, and in each of these stages, in each of these stages, um, I go back to those customer interviews. Uh, how would I describe this? Essentially, the, the jobs to be done framework is very heavy on customer interviews. It's, is very espousing of customer interviews because, um, without talking to people who've been in that scenario, you don't actually know what that struggle is, um, what it looks like and, and where people go to seek solutions. Um, so if you were to use the jobs to be done framework to craft your customer journey and to craft new personas, you would inherently end up with a bunch of, of interview transcripts, which would help you map out, okay, most of our most of our people, once they go from being unaware to being pain aware, and then wanting to seek solutions, according to these interviews, most of our people are asking their friends. Um, so, what does that tell us about our marketing strategy? It means it, it tells us that we already have a ton of customers who love us, and if people if people who if people who um, are seeking this solution typically find us through word of mouth, then we should really look at creating a dedicated word of mouth campaign. Why don't we look at a referral program? Um, 
let's say instead that you find out from your interviews um, that when, when people seek a struggle to their solution, they typically go to Google. Um, well, in that case, you might want to look really seriously at a content marketing strategy. You might want to look at working with an SEO specialist. Maybe if you've got the budget, you might want to look at running AdWords. Um, let's say that instead you find out most people who found your solution um, did so through uh, small communities that they hang out in. Um, if that's the case, then what communities exist online that you um, could start spending time in as a marketer? Would that be Facebook groups? Would it be Slack communities? Um, would it be LinkedIn groups? I don't think anyone uses LinkedIn groups anymore, but that was relevant like maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, essentially, what I'm, what I'm getting at with all these details or all these scenarios is when you do these interviews, um, you, will, you will not only understand what your customer is struggling with that you need to speak to in your copy, that you need to speak to in the messages you choose um, to put on your ads or in landing pages um, or in email marketing campaigns, what you'll also understand is where they actually go in real life to try to find solutions, to try to solve that struggle. And that, that's what should be informing your marketing strategy. What your customer naturally does is, or where they go is where you should be showing up, right? That works so much better than running Facebook ads when your target audience doesn't even hang out on Facebook or um, what's another good example or sponsoring conferences, uh, or, Ooh, sponsoring conferences. If your target audience doesn't really like meeting in person, right? Maybe they're more of an online community type of group. Um, so using the jobs to be done framework and, and using this, uh, I guess like using this, this deeply research focused approach will give you a lot of the insights that it's much harder to find. Um, and it's much, that it's much harder to find when you're kind of stuck in the building, um, building out a mess, building out your messaging or building out your marketing strategy, um, within a conference room, uh, based solely off of, uh, your or your teammates opinions, uh, or what you think people are doing instead of what they're really doing. Yeah, exactly. I think this links back really nicely to the questions you were proposing at the beginning of the episode from April Dunford, that that's where you actually get the answers to those questions. So, you know, exactly. well, yeah, we should actually be doing AdWords or actually, no, we shouldn't be doing Facebook. Uh, exactly. So yeah, I think this, this ties by very nicely to, to where we started. And I think we could actually move on now and, and finish things off with a fast five challenge. So I'm going to ask you five questions and all you okay. need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So Claire, <laughs> right. are you ready for this one? Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Okay. So what's the one book that you would recommend others to read? Oh my gosh. The one book. Um, so one that I really love is called Switch. Uh, it's written by two brothers. It's, it's too far away on my shelf for me to remember their names, um, but I can look it up for you afterward. It's called Switch and it's all about behavioral psychology. How do you convince someone or a group of people to change their behavior when change when changing behavior is really hard it's amazing amazing for marketers yeah that sounds awesome okay switch second question a SaaS company you love and why mm, SaaS company that i love and why let's see i'm trying not to pick too many favorites <laughs> um <laughs> so many good ones to choose from yeah there truly are uh what's a SaaS company i love and why um so Sorry, I know this is supposed to be fast, but now I'm, now I'm thinking through like so many good companies. 
Um, one that I one that I love in particular, um, and I'm kind of playing favorites because I I know their I know their CMO um, and I appreciate their branding and I appreciate their approach is Podia. Uh, so mm. Podia is um, they're a like course creation platform. So they serve creators, um, and they've done an amazing job at making their message at, at making their um, they've done an amazing job as positioning themselves as the very human focused um, option in a, in a, the, the course creation platform space is fairly dense by now. There's, there's a lot of different competitors, excuse me, out there. Um, but they've positioned themselves really well as the one that's the most fun, the simplest, um, the, their, their marketing is so engaging. Um, and I, I know their CMO and I know that he is doing the work to really understand his customers. Um, I know that he's doing the work to really go where they are, He's gone to a number of different conferences this year to meet people in his target audience that th these are conferences he would never have attended himself um, out just out of the blue because they don't serve him, but they serve his audience. And, and so he's, I know he's really showing up and doing the work of understanding his customer and it really reflects in their marketing. Yeah, that's great. And the third question then, your favorite place to read about marketing and sales and SaaS online? Ooh, um, that, you know, that evolves year after year after year. So sales and marketing and SaaS. Um, for a long time, uh, Heaton Shaw's weekly newsletter, I think it, I think it became called Product Habits, um, was a fantastic yeah. newsletter for um, articles about all types, all, all areas of SaaS business. So it included product, yes, but it was also sales, marketing, customer yeah. success, et cetera. Um, I, I love... Um, Lincoln Murphy's work, uh, because he, he positions himself as writing about customer success, but so much of it is, is about, um, is about, tr is about company growth holistically. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, so I would definitely recommend any, any of Lincoln Murphy's work. Um, copy hackers for learning how to write great copy for sure. Yes, um, definitely. Um, who else am I missing? I'm going to have to follow up with a couple of links because <laughs> In in lightning round, I'm 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 failing to shout out some of some of my other faves. Um, I think a, a final a final one that I'll give a shout out to is, uh, and these are all very like, I, I realize I'm kind of getting in the weeds um, of this or that type of this or that type of subject matter. Um, but Val Geisler's blog, uh, Val Geisler is an email marketing consultant. She writes amazing email teardowns. Um, so you learn very quickly what's working about an email campaign or what isn't. Um, and then I would say profit well or price intelligently, uh, yeah. runs an excellent series on SAS pricing and how to do that, um, strategically versus kind of guessing with your pricing, um, and, and how to price in a way that really accelerates growth. So that's a, that's a decent list, right? Yeah, that's a lot of good <laughs> stuff. That'll keep you busy for a while. Okay. Uh, perfect. Then Fourth question. So your most important growth metric. I would say, so the, the, the individual metric will vary from company to company. Um, yeah. but it's, it's whatever metric indicates for you and, and your product and your service. It's whatever metric indicates that your customer has felt success. They've gotten value because that's what will, that's what will ensure that they stick around and continue to pay and continue to shout your name from the rooftops. Um, Oh, there's all kinds of submetrics that um, that spring from that. Um, but as an example, uh, with user list, with the SaaS product I'm working on now, um, we're in we're in an early enough stage 
where we're just bringing on our first customers and we're trying to figure out what that metric is. We think that it is a combination of, we think that it's a combination of our customer has imported their data into our product and they've sent their first email using our platform. Um, we think that that's the metric that we're striving, that we're driving people toward. Um, that may change as we onboard more customers, but everything we do, both from a development perspective, from a marketing perspective, from a design perspective, everything we do needs to guide people to that. Um, so all of our submetrics roll up to making sure that people can import their data and send an email. Um, and that applies to every type of that that applies to every type of SaaS company. Uh, your ultimate metric is what is what what's the moment at which your customer feels the value? Because um, the faster you can get them there, and the more frequently you can have them repeating that action, um, the more likely they're going to stick around long term. Perfect. And then the fifth and final question. So, what would be your one piece of advice for SaaS marketers out there? Um, make a good network. And I, I don't mean like go to networking events and like print business cards and, and shove them at everyone, but truly build a lot of good relationships. Um, because those, I, um, I'll speak for myself and I, I know this has been the case for other marketers, but I have learned so much more through my relationships and I've been given so many more opportunities through my relationships. Um, so I've become a better marketer through my relationships, uh, than any, um, than any, than I, than I was able to in any one job or, uh, through any one client engagement. Um, so make friends with other marketers, make friends with, um, the types of people that you want to serve. So if you're staying in SaaS, um, make friends with SaaS founders, make friends with, make, make good connections, um, and regularly reach back out to people that you've made connections with and see how you can help them. Even if it's, even if it's not for monetary gain, right. Um, because while that's harder to measure, while your, your network is a lot harder to measure, ultimately it will support you and um, provide all the opportunities that you need, even though you can't predict them right now. Perfect. Love it. Hey, Claire, just want to thank you so much for joining us on the Growth Hub podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, again, I, a couple of times I really went on a rant, um, but <laughs> I hope it was valuable. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, so, I'm so glad to be here. So it was great to finally get to meet you and record this episode. That was Claire Solentrop on how to understand your customers and build better buyer personas. And you can reach out to Claire if you want to get in touch with her on Twitter at Claire Sulen. As ever, let us know your thoughts. And if you have any feedback, then you're always welcome to get in touch with me on Twitter at Nordic Edward, LinkedIn, or reach out to me at edward at advancedb2b.fi. So thanks again for listening to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off. Make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying differently.